Welcome to the Paleo NP podcast. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and creator of MarthaFlorence.com. I live in Anchorage, Alaska with my boyfriend and fur children. I'm here to share my take on integrative health, nutrition, and fitness, answer your questions, and talk with health and wellness experts. You can submit your questions at MarthaFlorence.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to another episode of the Paleo NP podcast. This week, I have a guest host on with me. I'm calling her a guest host because I'm not officially interviewing her, but she's actually been on the podcast before. So I've got Melissa Groves from Avocado Grove Nutrition with me here this week. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Martha. Thanks for having me back. I'm super excited. Of course. I will link to the um, previous episode of the podcast that we did together about PCOS. It wasn't, it was a long time ago, but it wasn't very many podcast episodes ago because I haven't recorded very many since then, which is a whole different issue. Um, But if anybody wants to go back and listen to that, I will link to that in the show notes. This week, we are talking about vegan and carnivore diets and probably a few other controversial diet topics too, because why the heck not stir the pot during the holidays, right? (laughs) So um, for anybody that may not have listened to our previous episode, Melissa, um, why don't you just go ahead and give a quick introduction, tell everyone who you are and what you do. So I'm Melissa Groves, and I'm a functional medicine dietitian. Um, I am located in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and I mainly specialize in women's health and hormones. So um, I do a lot of PCOS, infertility, adrenal and thyroid dysfunction, um, basically any any of the problems that women encounter due to hormones. Um, but using the functional medicine an approach as you do. Um, I approach it from a root cause perspective and, you know, I use a food as medicine approach whenever possible. Awesome. So Melissa has become my dietary fact check source. I find myself (laughs) reaching out to her when I see or hear things about food on the internet that feel really extreme or like maybe they're not such a great idea. Um, And the first thing, which we actually are going to talk about a little bit is celery juice, because all of a sudden there were all of these people on Instagram who were raving about how celery juice will cure everything and how you should drink a giant glass of it every day. And I looked it up and about two seconds after that, I realized that the recommendation came from two sources that I do not trust. So I messaged Melissa and I asked if I was being overly (laughs) sensitive about it because um, I think it's Medical Medium and Gwyneth Paltrow are the two people who recommend it, neither of whom have any sort of nutrition or medical degrees, certifications, qualifications, anything like that. And she assured me that I was in fact correct in thinking that it is not necessary or even really a good idea to drink a, a bunch of celery juice. So. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on celery juice. Yeah, I think it's a little shady that, and I'm sorry, I can't even remember his name, but me the, the medical medium guy, um, I think it's, it's a little shady that he goes by the name, the medical medium, because I think people think he does have a medical background and he does not. Um, the place where he gets his information from is by talking to spirits. Um, I repeat, he talks to (laughs) spirits who tell him what a healthy diet is. And apparently he specializes in, you know, knowing the right treatments for 
thyroid disorder, but also for Lyme disease. And it's just so dangerous, the recommendations that he is giving. And, um, you know, it was a few months ago on Instagram where a bunch of his devotees were were following his 90-day thyroid cleanse. And yes, celery juice is a large proportion of what they consume. Um, It's mostly raw fruits and vegetables. um, And it's mostly juices. And just looking at what they're consuming, I mean, I haven't done a whole lot of research on the actual protocol. um, But it's it's just basically just raw vegetables for the most part and juices. And it's so low in protein and it's cold. Um, you know, and from a functional medicine perspective, like when your thyroid is not functioning well, you're, you're cold, you know, your metabolism's cranked down, putting more cold foods in there is not going to to help. Um, So I would see all of these girls on Instagram following this diet and chugging their, you know, um, 32 ounces of celery juice in the morning. First of all, I hate celery. Um, I, I don't know. I think I'm like the only dietitian in the world that hates celery. Um, it's the only vegetable I won't eat. Um, so yeah, just the thought of having to chug down the (laughs) celery juice in the first place, but yeah, it's just, it's cold. And you know, by like the second week of the cleanse, like most of them were just falling apart and still singing the praises of the cleanse. It's like, it's like, oh, today was a rough day. I cried. I had a meltdown. I couldn't exercise. I couldn't, you know, they're falling apart like a week into the cleanse and they're just like still saying how amazing it is for their thyroid. And it's like, wow, you really have drank the green celery flavor. You're all about this. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's funny because like as much as I like to um, complain about Dr. Oz and his you know recommendations, mm-hmm. at least he does have a medical background. I mean, you know, yeah. the man's done surgery, right? Like, at yeah, some point, like he's he's you know has some education, right? Um, but yeah, the fact that this guy gets his information from spirits is just beyond me. Yeah, and he's something like 90,000 followers on Instagram or something like that. I, I think it's really unfortunate when, I mean, I'm, I'm all about like, we like personally, we know our bodies and we can kind of be intuitive about what we need, but I don't believe that you can be intuitive about what somebody else needs on that level. I know he has a, a Epstein-Barr virus mm. cleanse diet, something too, that I came across when I was doing research for that. Um, which is kind of the same thing. It's like a lot of fruits and vegetables, mostly fruits, raw fruit. I think that he thinks that the underlying cause of Lyme disease or an underlying confounding factor is Epstein-Barr and same with thyroid. Like he he seems to think Epstein-Barr is like the root cause of everything. And I mean, yeah, it's an underlying cause of a lot of inflammatory right. processes, but um, you know, I think, I think he, um, and a lot of us have it, you know, right. I mean, like, yeah. you know, most, probably more than 50% get mono at some point yeah, and easy. then carry the virus. But um, yeah, he's, he's got some really, really crazy ideas. Yeah. I just, and I do think it's really unfortunate when people kind of prey on vulnerable people. And that's, I mean, I don't want this to turn in, this is not going to turn into a show where we talk poorly about people who don't have qualifications, but Gwyneth Paltrow is another one of those, that whole goop situation where they're selling like 
very expensive things to people who are desperate for answers. Like that just gets my blood boiling. And I am fully supportive of a uh, holistic approach to your health and involving lots of different practitioners. But you do, when it comes to health problems, you need somebody in your corner who has some sort of medical qualification because that just, I mean, you, you just, you can't get information from the spirits and a movie star. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You, you heard it from this hormone dietitian herself. <laughs> Don't be putting jade eggs up your hoo-ha. Right? There's no, absolutely no evidence that that helps with anything. If yeah. anybody, yeah, if anybody wants more um, information <laughs> and fodder on that, uh, there's a woman, Dr. Jen Gunter, I believe, um, on, she's, she has a website. I, I'll try to find it and link it um, in the show notes. But she actually did a, she wrote an article about how there's no, there's, she did a study I think about how there's no anthropological evidence that that's even a thing that that is not, like it was she they were claiming that it was an ancient Chinese practice and it's it's absolutely not um, but she she's very adamant she also does not like the whole goop establishment and she kind of debugs a lot her Twitter is hilarious because that's all she does is uh, throw shade at them which is pretty entertaining um, if you need a good laugh about those things. And I think she even has a really hilarious post about preparing your vagina for the holidays. She's an OBGYN. <laughs> She's an OBGYN. And it's, it's truly, it's entertaining. Anyway, so uh, now, uh, that we've, um, yeah, now that we've gotten that out of the way, um, we don't, I, with celery juice, like when it comes to celery juice, like I don't like celery. So why am I going to drink 32 ounces of celery juice? You can also get the same, whatever health benefits you get from celery juice, you can also get from eating celery. And do you know how much celery it takes to make 32 ounces of celery juice? You would never eat that much celery in one setting. Yeah. Another thing that I find concerning about it is the nitrates that are naturally found in celery. Mm -hmm. And when we eat celery or beets or, you know, any of those foods that naturally contain nitrates, um, you know, we're getting a reasonable amount, but when you're juicing it, um, you just don't know how much, um, you know, whether it's going to affect you. There are um, cases of people um, having side effects after drinking too much beet juice, for example, you drink you know, 16 ounces of beet juice, you could find yourself getting lightheaded and fainting and all yeah, I mean, of that it has, stuff. Uh, they use, when you get chest pain, like basically it's a, a nitrate that they give you to resolve your chest pain. Like it, it mm-hmm. has cardiac effects. So that is, I also agree that that's a huge concern. So yeah. let's talk about vegans and carnivores now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wrote a blog post, which I will um, link to in the show notes about athletes in the vegan diet. And that kind of got me thinking about extreme diets and just how I think it's important to talk about these things so that people can make good decisions for themselves. Because as I already said, and I say this all the time that like you guys, you guys, people in general know what's right for them, but you have to make that decision from an informed place, not because somebody told you to do it, especially somebody with no medical qualifications. So another thing that I'm pretty passionate about is that there isn't one diet that's good for everyone. Um, I care about this subject so much that I am actually launching an e-course that I will also link in the show notes about how to find your perfect diet, because that's honestly one of the most common questions I get in my practice is, what should I eat? And that's not an easy question to answer because there are certainly some basics that apply to everybody. Um, but what I should eat for optimal health and what you should eat for optimal health can look very different. So I think that saying, and I think that people who are really, uh, 
very adamant about a vegan diet or a carnivore diet will say that these diets are the best diet for everyone, which is not true in any sense. Um, so I think it's important to talk about that. So some specifics, I mean, again, like vegans, and we're not talking from a, from a moral standpoint here, although I do understand that people have moral concerns about eating meat. Uh, Melissa is a what a recovering vegetarian. So I definitely, I definitely trust her perspective on some of these things, but, um, I just want to add some specific points and I sure, I'm sure she does too. Um, but the biggest concern for me is both protein and on a vegan diet specifically is both protein and micronutrients. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, um, especially athletes, like I work with a lot of athletes, I am an athlete, 1.5 to 2 grams of 1.5 to 2 grams per kilogram of protein is appropriate for most people. Um, And kind of, you know, some people might need more than that, but that's generally the recommendation. And my problem with a lot of the vegan sources of protein is that it's soy based, um, which I have, you know, I have my issues with soy and, or it's an incomplete protein. So something like beans, which are honestly mostly carbs and not really that great of a source of protein, and they're hard to digest unless you prepare them properly, which most people aren't willing to do. What are your thoughts about protein and vegans? I agree. Um, You know, I mostly, the majority of my clients have PCOS, um, and um, insulin resistance is one of the main drivers of that disease process, and so um, one of the dietary recommendations that I make for them is to aim for 25 to 30 grams of protein per meal, mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, there's limits on how much your body can absorb at one time. So getting them to spread their protein out throughout the day. Right. Um, and it is, it's really difficult with vegan clients because, um, you know, PCOS can go either way. Um, you know, they're not necessarily estrogen dominant, but Um, A lot of them do have excess estrogen and putting soy in, um, in, you know, quantities of two or three times a day is definitely way too much. Um, I'm not, I I don't believe in demonizing soy either. Um, It definitely has its benefits. I actually have an article coming out in Healthline later this week that I wrote on soy and it's, you know, who it's good for, who should probably avoid it. Um, but for estrogen dominance, yeah, you don't want to be having soy three times a day. Um, you know, I tell people two or three times a week maybe is fine. Um, I had some tempeh bacon myself this morning. You know, it's a perfectly appropriate food to include. Um, the problem also is the type of soy matters. You know, when you're eating edamame or tofu or tempeh that are minimally processed and, you know, tempeh is actually fermented, which improves its mm-hmm. digestion. Um you know, that's one thing, but when you're loading up on artificial meat substitutes like, you know, fake chicken patties and whatnot, um, that's soy protein isolate. And like even people with a completely rock solid digestive system have trouble digesting soy protein isolate. Um, so that's definitely a major problem with, with the protein. I actually, um, you know, and I, I don't advocate counting calories. Um, it's, it's not, you know, calories in, calories out is old science and it, it doesn't really apply in the real world. Um, that being said, um, I have a handout that I give to my clients that has a list of what 
foods contain 25 grams of protein. Um, so when you're comparing, say, um, you know, 25 grams of protein from turkey, you have to eat 2.9 ounces of turkey, which is a, you know, small serving yeah, of turkey. Not a lot. It's less than a, you know, the size of your palm or a deck of cards. Um, and that's 121 calories. Um, if you compare that to, you know, I have a lot of clients say, oh, well, I ate hummus on my sandwich for lunch, so I got protein. If you wanted to get 25 grams of protein from hummus, you would have to have 21 and a half tablespoons of hummus, which amounts to 761 calories. Wow. So, and same thing with quinoa, like people are always talking about, oh, quinoa is a really high protein grain. It is. It's way higher than say, white rice, um, but to get 25 grams of protein from quinoa, you'd need to eat um, a little more than three cups, um, which comes out, comes out to 682 calories. So, you know, when you're looking at, you have to kind of think too with, with beans, um, that, you know, I tell people not to think of them as a protein. Right. They're, re- they're really a cross. They're, they're yeah. just as much carb as they are protein. So, um, you know, it's not saying it's not worthy. If you can tolerate beans, okay, um, include them. But um, this is where a lot of the trouble comes from with trying to get enough protein on a vegetarian diet is, um, you know, the calorie difference is really um, not good. It's also not as um, bioavailable. Right, as- yeah. As protein from meat or, you know, eggs are the most bioavailable protein. Your body basically just, you know, recognizes the protein in eggs and sops it right up. So, um, yeah, you're not going to even get as much of the protein out of the foods that you're eating. Right. And I think it's um, also important to understand that um, talking about calories, like you... 600 calories in a, in three cups of, what was it? Uh, quinoa. Quinoa is like, that's an entire meal. Mm-hmm. Like, again, not really advocating for counting calories. I agree. Like there's a time and a place for it, but you, by virtue of the vol, you're either going to not get enough protein in your diet or you're going to get too many calories. Like that's exactly. not, kind of not a really great trade-off. The other thing that I have noticed in general with people who are vegetarians, but specifically vegans is they tend to not actually eat a lot of vegetables. Yeah. It's, I, um, the Stacy from real everything in the paleo view podcast that she has the hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian, which she, she used to be a vegetarian too. Um, and she jokes about that, but it's actually not that hard to do. Like I've not met a vegetarian that I where like, I eat more vegetables than they do. Because I try to build my meal around vegetables and I feel like a lot of vegans and vegetarians are eating like the fake chicken nuggets or the no, what did I find at the store the other day? No fish, fish sticks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like what, like why, why bother? Like you should be eating real whole, you know, foods, vegetables and, and fruits and all of that and not focusing on these like more processed. I mean, a no fish, fish stick is in my mind almost as bad. You might as well be eating like ice cream and white bread. Like, honestly, yeah. to be completely honest. Um, so I just, and, and I, I made the argument a while back um, on, a, on an episode of the podcast, I'll have to find it. I don't remember which one it was, that like the, the paleo diet is actually a plant-based diet mm-hmm. because you're eating as many plants as you can and meat is sort of like your protein source. It's not, um, everybody thinks it's a meat-based diet, but it's, I, I would actually argue that it's vegetable-based because try to eat a lot of vegetables. So 
Yeah, we actually, um, I got to see Terry Walls speak. Oh, yeah. Uh, last month at um, our Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine Symposium the day before our annual conference, Fancy mm -hmm. um, down in Washington, D.C. And she's using, um, you know, her protocol for MS is, um, she calls it, who does she call it? Like an adapted paleo diet, mm -hmm. but basically it's, you know, nine cups of vegetables a day, cooked yeah. vegetables a day mm -hmm. um, with palm-sized servings of protein, grass-fed, right. wild, wild fish, you know, protein. Right. Um, so, it, you know, it is. It's a plant-based diet. Yeah. Um, and again, like, not saying that that's the best diet for everybody, but like, it's a, it's sort of a misnomer. It's, it, you know, like people talk about, oh, I... I mean, a paleo, I'm eating a paleo diet and people, people will say like, oh, you can't cut out whole groups of food. Like that's not good for you. But you say I'm eating a vegan diet and they're like, good for you. It's, it's like, it's the same double standard. Yeah. I, double standards. I definitely worry about some of the, you know, uh, plant-based protocols out there for diabetes, especially, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like if you're eating a whole plate full of greens and veggies and no protein to balance it out, that's not great. You know, glycemic index wise, yeah. not great. Um, you know, if you're not paying any, any attention to that, which I think most people aren't. Um, and if you're not making a concerted effort to get in enough protein to balance your blood sugar. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to prove to be great over the long term for insulin balance. I agree. I agree. The other concern about um, both the vegan and the carnivore diet, which I guess we can probably address, there's different concerns about this, but we can address them separately, um, are micronutrients, which are like, I don't know, critically important to your health. Like basically <laughs> everything that, that your cells do in your body requires micronutrients. So if you're missing out on micronutrients, then you're going to suffer in some way. Um, and your body's really good at compensating. Um, homeostasis is like, it wants to be stable. So it will basically rob Peter to pay Paul and you might not feel anything until things get really, really bad. Um, but on, for vegans, like uh, the things that I am aware of are vegans are notoriously lacking in B vitamins, vitamin K, vitamin A, um, and then CLA and DHA, I believe. Um, those are, those are all hard to find vegan sources. Some of them have no vegan sources, um, or even vegetarian sources. Um, but as far as I know, those are the big ones. Um, what are your thoughts about micronutrients yeah. and vegans? Um, first of all, like a lot of the studies that get cited on vegetarian diets being healthier were performed in Seventh-day Adventists, um, which is a religious group. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really hard to extrapolate that they're healthy, um, you know, that their health is related entirely to their diet because they also live a completely different lifestyle than yep. we do. They don't drink alcohol. They, yep. you know, like they're very, um, it's a very different lifestyle. If, if for example, like the Amish were, you know, vegan and we said, oh, the Amish are healthy because they're vegan. Like we, it's the same sort of, we just can't make that yep. correlation. They're also, you know, not in contact with you know, exhaust fumes from cars. Like you really, you can't right. make that, that correlation does not equal causation. So right. it's really hard to tell, but yeah, for vegan diets, the um, nutrients that are um, of concern are B12, um, iron, mm -hmm. calcium, yeah. 
zinc, um, vitamin D3, and vitamin A. Um, and a few few little notes about that. The B12, like you know, like you had mentioned before, I'm a recovering vegetarian myself, and for 22 years I was eating fish and eggs, but beyond that, largely plant-based. Um, and when I got my B12 results back, they were just in the gutter, which, you know, is partially due to my, some genetic snips that mm -hmm. I have that just, you know, lead to me not absorbing it as well. Um, but it was a real wake up call for me that like, I'm a, I'm a dietitian, I eat really well and I was eating animal food. So I kind of thought, oh, it's, it's not as much of a concern for me as it would be for someone who's strictly vegan or eating a junk food vegan diet. Um, but it is, it's, it's a concern. Um, and, you know, iron, heme iron is yeah. much more bioavailable than, iron in plants. Um, the iron in plants is largely bound up. Um, mm -hmm. Things like phytates and oxalates can prevent the absorption. So we really don't absorb a lot of the iron we eat from plants. There's things you can do. You can, you know, combine iron foods with foods that are high in vitamin C, like um, a lot of the traditional diets just did this intuitively, like combining beans with, you know, black beans with tomatoes mm -hmm. um, actually enhances the absorption of the iron from the beans. So I think our, our ancestors were really wise in that, um, you know, just knowing intuitively what things needed to be eaten together. Um, zinc's a really hard one. Um, D3. So D3 only comes from animal sources. Yeah. Um, so you get D2 from plants and then have to convert it to D3, which um, again, your gene snips really can affect that. Um, so you may not be getting, you know, in, in, in our diet, it's hard, it's really hard to get D3. So fortified milk is generally the place that people get it. I'm, I kind of, I'm not, all about recommending supplements to everyone, but living in New Hampshire, I do recommend D across the board. Um, you know, I, I give a D3 K2 supplement to basically anyone who walks in my door. Um, I've never found someone test at a sufficient level for vitamin D. Um, I live in Alaska, so I can second that. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. much, I, at a certain point, I actually stopped testing people because there was issues with insurance paying for it, whatever. And I was like, you live in Alaska, just take some vitamin D and we'll test it in a couple of months to make sure you're not taking too much, but you, I can almost guarantee you that you're not. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe there are people down South who are sufficient in D. <laughs> Um, I haven't had one as a client. So, yeah. um, same thing happens with vitamin A, mm -hmm. yep. you know, your, um, your only source of vitamin A as a vegan is beta carotene and doesn't depending, convert. Yeah. Depending on your gene snips, um, too, you may not convert it to, to a, you know, the active retinol. So eating things like egg yolks and butter, grass fed butter and um, liver are the places to get a, um, and then it's not a micronutrient, but you mentioned the essential fatty acids as yeah. well. Um, so healthy men um, convert approximately 8% of ALA to EPA. And then yeah. from that, zero to four percent gets converted to DHA. DHA. Yeah. Um, women are a little more efficient at converting. Uh, about 21% of ALA gets converted to EPA and then about 9% to DHA. And I think that's an evolutionary adaptation. Um, 
because DHA is so important to a developing baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so women are a little better at it, but then again, like your gene snips really play into it. When I look at someone's genes, um, I can tell them whether they should or should not be a vegetarian based on how well they convert ALA, how well they convert beta carotene. Um, You know, all that information's in our genes, basically, which is kind of cool. And then also, you know, and I know this is like newer and, um, but there's, there's starting to be more research about the benefits of collagen and um, glycine, which you can get from gelatin and, you know, things like, uh, creatine and all the amino acids that, you know, the complete amino acid profile. And, you know, we're, while we're not in the dark ages, um, of the, you know, having to combine beans and grains in the same meal to make a complete protein, your body's pretty efficient at it. You know, the amino acids, the amino acid pool will sit around for around 20, 24 hours. So your body can draw from that, whatever it needs to make whatever enzymes and proteins it needs. Um, but yeah, we, we do still need those things. So if you're not getting them at all, um, you're only going to be as good as your lowest amino acid, basically. So all the other ones you're eating are just going to waste. You're not getting to use them. Yeah. And I remember when I was doing, it's in my, it's in my blog post about, but there are, there's one or two amino acids that have no discernible vegan source. Like, so again, like overall, you're only as good as your weakest, your weakest link. And if you're not getting any of those, then those processes are going to start breaking down and you're going to be, you're going to eventually start feeling really crummy. And I think one of the things, and, and we'll talk here in just a second about, um, the micronutrient deficiencies on a carnivore diet. Um, but I think one of the things that happens when people go, go vegan or go to, you know, try this carnivore diet is they're switching from a kind of a crummy diet, right? Like you're going from more standard American diet to a vegan diet and you feel good because you've cut out all the crap. You've balanced your blood sugar a little bit because you've gotten rid of some of the like refined sources of sugar in theory. Um, and you feel really good. But what happens then is after this high of like lower, you're eating lower inflammatory foods, you have this like high of like, I feel really great. Veganism is awesome. And then your vitamins and your micronutrients and all of that stuff starts to like plummet. And then you start to feel crummy again. And the whole thing that prompted me to write that article was I have not seen a vegan. If people are claiming that a vegan diet is the healthiest diet in the world, I have yet to see a vegan in my clinic who is like, I feel so good. They all have some complaint that is almost always related to some sort of nutrient deficiency. And it's really hard to talk to them about that. I mean, I, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of figured out a way to do it, but it's hard because they, a lot of people do it for moral reasons, which I also understand. Um, but if you, if you feel crummy, are you willing to sacrifice your health for your, for your, for the morals of, of an animal? And I don't want to get into that, but if you feel crummy and you're coming to me to see me with a complaint and I tell you that your diet's to blame for part of this, like that's, you know, you got to accept that or you have to accept feeling crummy. Like that's, unfortunately, there's no way to change that. I assume that you see sort of similar complaints to what I see in people with a vegan diets is, um, you know, after a couple of years on it, um, your digestion is... Mm-hmm 
really kind of goes downhill. Um, I think, you know, it's a number of reasons, like your body stops making as much digestive enzymes and stomach acid because it's not needed. Um, so then you have more difficulty breaking down the food. Um, you know, even if you are eating a whole foods vegan diet, um, all that roughage is, is tough to digest. Um, I get a lot of dysbiosis and leaky gut in vegans, um, you know, and it's, it's, they're, you know, struggling with bloating, gas after eating, they're, yep. you know, either struggling with constipation or diarrhea, like they're mm -hmm. having a lot of, um, you know, heartburn and things mm -hmm. like that, that are signs of the low stomach acid that they yep. have. Um, and I, I just, you know, I've, was one of my problems with keto as well, but um, I think any diet that requires supplementation to be complete is not a healthy, sustainable diet for the long term. Yes. I'm making like, myself dizzy, shaking my head at, or nodding my head yeah. at that, that statement. Like, yes, I agree. Like, bottom line, like you cannot get all of the nutrients that you need to not only survive, but thrive mm -hmm. on a vegan diet mm -hmm. um, without supplementation. And if you're really ethically committed to it, um, just knowing which nutrients they are and making the effort to supplement um, will make a difference. Um, you know, but, but personally, I mean, it's, it's been it's been a long journey in my life to get to the point where I, I really don't believe that vegan is the optimal diet for health for every, for everyone or for the majority of people, I would right. say. I agree. And I think, I think that, um, who is it? Lear Keith is a person who I mentioned in my blog post, I believe. Um, and I'll, I'll link to her website, but she was a, an, a, a vegan. I think she was vegan, um, and had legitimate moral concerns about becoming not vegan. She's, she, basically adheres to a paleo diet now. Um, but she talks a lot about how she kind of reconciled some of those moral things. And, and Stacey Toss, again, from Real Everything in the Paleo View podcast does also talk about that um, as far as like sustainability and ethical practices for like um, cattle slaughter, which those are important to her. She has a book about eating the whole... Uh, Beyond Bacon, I think is what it's called, about eating the whole pig. So like using, you know, using those taking those morals and applying them in a way that also can make your, be good for your health, right? Like, so if you need to eat meat, you need to focus on the sustainability issue or the um, properly raised animals, well cared for. Like, those are the things that can, that can kind of help you maybe reconcile some of that. Um, but Lear Keith's book, I can't remember what it's called, but she, I've heard, I haven't read it myself. I've heard her on several interviews and it's, it's a really, she's a really interesting person to address it from that perspective. And I think that I, I don't like to ignore that perspective because I do think that that matters to a lot of people. Um, but again, like if you have to supplement to make your diet work for you, you can't be a lazy vegan. Like if you just can't, you have to, there's a lot of work that has to go into getting the right nutrients and seeking yeah. out specifically versus just eating a variety of foods. And I mean, I can speak to the, that personally as well. Um, you know, I, when I did start incorporating meat, um, you know, I do it very consciously once a week, about once a week, I'm eating red meat. Um, and that was the only thing that appealed to me was, was red meat. Um, so I only buy 
grass-fed organic um, meat or I buy a local bison from my friend's bison farm. Um, and I'm very fortunate that I'm able to do that. But again, I'm eating it in such small quantities that, you know, it's important to me to make that distinction. And sure, it would be really easy to order a burger out in a restaurant sometime. But if it's not local, I'm not going to do it. Um, yeah. That's just, you know, I, I like being able to see the happy, I thank the cow every mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um, I still am completely revolted by the idea of poultry. Um, and I, I let one of my farmers at the farmer's market talk me into buying a couple of pork chops from a pig that he had raised and they were frozen. And he talked to me about how, the, you know, what the pig ate and how yep. the pig was humanely killed and like the process of all Mm -hmm. of that. Um, And it's just been sitting in my freezer. (laughs) Like I can't, I can't, I can't bring myself to eat it. So for now, but for now, like eating a red steak is not all that different than eating a tuna steak was for me. So. Right. And I think, um, I think that you, you intuitively bring up a, a good point about poultry versus beef. And that's that if you look at how much, how many meals you can get out of one chicken, you're taking, mm-hmm. basically you can feed maybe two, maybe three people, one meal out of one chicken, right? So that's one life is making three meals. But if you look at a cow, a cow is a much larger animal and it certainly takes longer to properly raise a cow. Um, and but the the number of resources that you put into raising one cow is the, the like return on your investment is huge because you can feed i mean it's well, i don't even know how many hundreds of pounds a cow is but it's a lot and you can feed so many more people or get so many more meals out of one life than you can mm-hmm. with a chicken and i think it's really interesting that a lot of vegans or vegetarians are like oh i'm a i'm a vegetarian but i eat chicken i eat poultry which to me is so opposite like i understand that I understand that cows are more relatable than chickens when it comes to um, like on an animal level, like cows, cows are nice animals, chickens, birds, like I don't, I don't really like birds to begin with. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I understand that. Um, So it seems, it feels harder to accept the loss of the cow's life. But if you look at it from a, you get so much more, such a bigger benefit out of that one, one life. Like if you're talking one life, I'd much rather have a cow or a pig. It's the same way, like so much more, so many more meals out of one single life than two meals out of a chicken. It's kind of the opposite, but um, I remember reading Peter Singer's book, The Ethics of Eating Meat, or Mm -hmm. The Ethics of Eating Animals, I believe Mm -hmm. is what it was called. Um, And according to him, the most ethical animal to eat are shellfish or mollusks because they don't have a nervous system. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, you're eating 20 in one go when you're eating, you know, clams or whatever, but um, they don't have a nervous system. So if that's something that, you know, is concerning to you, like adding clams can be a really easy way to, you know, they're super high in zinc and B12. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have to say, like the health benefits of adding it have far outweighed you know, the, the ethical dilemmas for me, um, you know, especially where I am really conscious about the sustainability mm-hmm. of, of the meat that I buy. Um, but like my iron is higher than, I mean, I always struggled to keep my iron up and it, last check, I think my, my hematocrit and hemoglobin were like 15% and like 42%, like, 
like actually like optimal, oh, yeah. like not borderline, you know, yeah, anemic. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then, so then switching gears a little bit to talk about the carnivore diet, which mm-hmm. is basically just eating meat and not even just any meat. I think it's basically just eating red meat, um, which I get again that people like feel great when they do this and good for them. Um, but a, a couple of concerns that I have about it in general is that one, nobody's really been doing it long enough for us to really, tr- the people that claim that there are no negative effects because people are like, I have more energy. I don't have scurvy. Um, you know, like all of those things. I just don't think that anybody's been really doing it for long enough to truly know the impact that it's going to have on their long-term health, the health of their children, how it's going to affect their genes. I mean, we have so much research now on how, how our, parents' health affects our health and how our health affects our children's health, how our grandparents' health affects our health, um, that we don't really have that because humans are not meant to be carnivores, in my opinion. Um, There's anthropological and anatomical evidence to back that up. Um, I have a degree in anthropology, so like I'm qualified to make that distinction too. But as far as micronutrients go, uh, big ones, vitamin C, vitamin E, folate, and then not enough vitamin E can actually may affect your, your ability to use vitamin K, I believe, if I'm understanding that correctly, and fiber, which for women, fiber is so, I mean, for men too, but for women, fiber is important for like estrogen detox, especially if you're losing weight, then you're not going to be able to detox your estrogen if you don't have enough fiber because you're probably going to be constipated. Yeah, I agree. Those were the big ones that I concluded as well. I mean, I think fiber is the the biggest one. Um, I actually, so I, I worked part-time um, at a grocery store and I had a customer come in one day and tell me he had been doing keto, quote unquote keto for the last six months. And I said, well, what are you eating? And he said, well, I start my day with four slices of bacon and then I have four slices of bacon for lunch and then I have a steak or a piece of chicken for dinner. And that was it for six months. And I have to tell you, I was like standing about three feet away from him and he had the worst breath I had ever encountered. And if his breath was that bad, like I shudder to think what his colon must have looked like. Like he was just yeah. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what keto is and isn't, but he was essentially following the carnivore diet um, mm-hmm. as we're describing it. I actually, when you mentioned this, I had to to look it up. Like I didn't realize it was like a thing. Oh, it's like, a thing. It's a thing now. Yeah. Um, and who is like, it's a, like a debunked doctor who... Yeah. So I will link to his, I just found his video because I, you know, like I, his name is Sean Baker, I believe. And he actually lost his medical license, um, which it's pretty hard to lose your medical license. Like you have to do some things to really piss some people off and, or, or do some really terrible things to patients in order to lose your medical license. Um, and I actually looked it up because I wasn't, I the, the all that I had ever seen was like the little um, <clears throat> blurb from the disciplinary action because all of that is public public record. Um, that was just basically like I think it was like unethical. Something he did something that they didn't agree with and they took his license. Um, but he actually made a video of what really happened to his medical license, and I actually couldn't watch it. I had to stop watching it because the way that he talks about it, and and this is like I just. I, I'm not judging him. I think he was truly doing what he thought was right. So like, 
I'm, I'm, it's unfortunate that this is how it happened, but his video, which I will link to, um, he claims that he, he claims that it was financially motivated that he, so he was a surgeon, an orthopedic surgeon. Um, and he claims that he sort of started treating patients. He started focusing on his own diet and health and he started talking to patients about it and that he started to take longer with his patients. So instead of seeing a patient in eight minutes, he was spending 25 minutes and giving them handouts and that he claims that the hospital that he was working for was losing revenue. And then they started investigating him. They took him to a disciplinary review board to which like, they looked at all the surgeries that he'd ever done. And basically every surgeon has complications. Every surgeon has bad outcomes occasionally. And they, they like, he's claiming that they basically went through all of his surgical records with a fine tooth comb and like picked out the bad things. And he lost his license over that, which knowing what I know about the medical field, I'm not entirely sure that that's, it's, that's, that's a pretty biased review of what happened. And I understand that, but it just seems real fishy the way that he talked about it. So I had to stop watching the video because I actually couldn't listen to the way that he, he was talking about it. So it's, it stinks, but like, I don't necessarily trust the guy, to be completely honest. That's funny the way you just mentioned that made me remember I started to watch um, the documentary What the Health oh, yeah. on, Net on Netflix mm -hmm. when it was a whole big thing and I I couldn't I couldn't watch it I got about ten minutes in and I was so angry just like <laughs> watching the the screen um, there's actually a great review um, by. Uh, I think her name is Victoria Messina. She's okay. actually a dietitian mm -hmm. who specializes in vegan diets. And she was like, this is the worst documentary. <laughs> it's just like cherry picking data mm -hmm. and making like no scientific sense whatsoever. But if you don't have a science background and you're watching it, like it seems to make sense. They have cute little cartoons and, and whatnot. And I was just like throwing things at the TV um, while I was watching it. But I digress. Um, <laughs> but Sean Baker, so is he the one, is his daughter the one who also followed the diet? Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, most of what I learned about the carnivore diet, I learned from random people that I follow on Twitter only because like, that's a really easy way for me to see like what's going on in the world of nutrition. Um, so I actually follow a lot of, I know I'm not keto. I don't love the keto diet. I'm not a carnivore diet. I don't do the carnivore diet, but I follow a lot of those people just because I think it's really interesting to hear the other side of things. Um, so I actually don't know a whole lot about the evolution of it, but I do know that he's the one that started it. So if, if it is, um, I came across something about his daughter, like he and his daughter are the two biggest proponents mm -hmm. about, of the diet, mm -hmm. um, except she followed the diet by eating red meat and bourbon. And it miraculously cured all of her digestive issues and health, you know, like she just yes. felt so much better. Um, and I was like, wow, that's. A unique combination. Um, right. But I mean, I have to say people are going to feel better following right. a carnivore diet. Again, for like a really brief time, you're going to feel better because you're taking out carbohydrates entirely. And for anyone who has any sort of digestive dysbiosis, um, carbohydrates are what feed our gut microbiome. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're still in the place where we don't know. We don't even know what we don't know about the microbiome yet. We are finding out new things every day about 
all of the things that those gut bugs are doing for us. They affect anything from our weight and metabolism to our mood, to our digestion. Like they're involved. I mean, they're specific organs have different microbiomes. You have a skin microbiome. There's a breast microbiome. There's a vaginal microbiome. I mean, every part of us has its own microbiome. And the things that, that these little guys who are doing great things for us live on are those um, non-digestible carbohydrate fibers that come from vegetables. So like the best way to feed your microbiome is to feed it a variety of plant fibers, um, you know, those prebiotic fibers that they right. love. And, you know, the more variety, the better. So the fact that you're basically starving your microbiome means you're going to kill off all the good ones along with all the bad ones. But, you know, at least while you're killing off the bad ones, it may make you feel a little better. You're going to feel less bloated and gassy for a little while until yeah. the, you know, constipation sets in. Yeah. And I think the other thing that people lose weight on it, not because number one, because they're cutting out carbohydrates partially, or at least processed carbohydrates for sure. Um, but the other thing is that you're inherently eating fewer calories, which again, calories in calories out, not all, all that great. But if you don't eat enough calories, you will lose weight to a certain extent. So I think that probably plays into that. Yeah. And I mean, you know more about this uh, working with athletes than I do, but the glycogen stores in your muscles and liver, how much do we store? Like three or four pounds, I think, altogether. Yeah. yeah. Um, so every you know molecule of carbohydrate is bound to four molecules mm -hmm. of water. water. So yeah. when, you're, when those um, glycogen stores get used up in mm -hmm. those first two days, you know, day or two, um, all that water goes with it. So that's why you'll see that really rapid weight loss of, you know, yeah. five, six pounds in the first day, but it's, it's all water yeah. and glycogen stores, which as you know, like when you burn up your glycogen stores, when you're doing something like a marathon or endurance, um, training or, uh, racing, um, you know, you eat the carbs and the, your body prioritizes putting those back into storage. It's like, Oh, yeah. we better stock back up. Um, yeah. She's going through these really fast, like, yeah, hang on to them. So, like, the second that you even lick a carb, like, it's just gonna go back, you know? Right. right. And I think, I think another thing that I is really interesting to me, and this applies more to keto than specifically the carnivore diet, um, is the way that people are. It's it's different for everybody. So I know that there are some people who say that they're quote unquote, following the carnivore diet, but they do eat some vegetables um, and some fruits. And, and I do think that there's probably a healthy way to eat more meat and fewer vegetables and be okay. Like if that's how you feel good, but like, I don't think that you should cut out. I don't think that anybody should not eat vegetables. I, I just like to be completely honest, <laughs> but yeah, it's I, really horrifying. I mean, especially from a fertility perspective, just, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're also not getting any antioxidants. Um, and that's so important for, you know, fertility, for overall health, for lowering inflammation, from, you know, repairing those damages, damaged cells that can lead to cancer and diabetes and, you know, Alzheimer's disease. Like the antioxidants are, 
it's another thing we don't we don't even know what we don't know about the right. phyto phytochemicals and you know I saw your post the other day on phenols and mm-hmm. you know polyphenols and gut health yeah like, you know new research is coming out all the time about you know benefits of these plant compounds and we haven't even quantified all of them yet you know and we don't understand how they work together, right? So like, it's hard to say that you can supplement if you, if you need to supplement your diet with supplements to get some of these essential nutrients, like what are you missing out on that we don't even know about? Because plants have, you know, like eating a serving of kale, sure you're getting all of the micronutrients that we know about in the kale, but like what other plant compounds um, are you getting that you don't know about and how are those interacting with the things that we do know about to give them the benefits that we think that they have, right? So like um, vitamin C, great, you know, but is supplementing with vitamin C the same thing as getting vitamin C from a whole food source that has other things that is impacting the way that the vitamin C works in your body? So I think that kind of goes back to your previous point about if you have to supplement, a diet that you have to supplement in order to get the things that you know that you need is probably not the best option. Um, and I just, yeah, I just, I think everybody should eat vegetables. That's my problem. <laughs> I just think they're I so think, important. Uh, I know. I, I think a, a good, um, you know, sort of historical perspective on that is the evolution of baby formula throughout mm-hmm. the years. It's like, what it started off as versus what we've added as we've known. And, you know, I think, you know, my, my past life, I was a pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. advertising copywriter and one of my accounts was a baby formula. Um, And it was when they were adding DHA to the formula and it was, we were doing a big launch and talking about the benefits of DHA. Um, But that was 2006. Like, we didn't know until what, 12 years ago that yeah. we should be adding DHA to baby formula. Like, it's like, what are we not adding now that we should be, you know, right? right. So many things <laughs> like, yeah. you know, whole, whole food is, is best because we're not, I mean, as a scientist, and I know you believe in this too, like, like a good scientist, um, admits how much they don't know. And like, right. we really, we have no idea what we don't know at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, so like we should not be, you know, pretending to, um, you know, know it all because we yeah. don't. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, this is my pardon, pardon the pun, my beef with superfoods is <laughs> <laughs> that you, you know, like too much of anything is not necessarily a good thing. The same with not enough of something, right? So like broccoli is good for you and kale is a superfood, but you should not eat only kale right? Like that's not, that's not healthy. That's not good. Um, so people assume that because something is labeled as a superfood that they think that they should eat more of it or that they should eat nothing but it, but that food. And that's not the case. And I kind of feel like that's the case with all of these, all of these more extreme diet approaches is that like a little bit of some things are okay for you, but like eating only meat is like, what's, what's the point? I mean, I get that you feel good, but it's you're you're it's not gonna I just don't think it's gonna last I think people are a lot of people are in search of the easiest Mm -hmm. answer and I've I've had people say to me well keto is easy 
I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just eat this same thing, you know, every day. Um, so I think it's just, you know, another iteration. I'm still struggling with the idea that it's even the thing. <laughs> I guess, I guess it is. Yeah. No, it, it, I was, when I started hearing about it, I was like, well, that's silly. Like, why would anybody do that? But I mean, it's basically the opposite of being vegan. Um, and I I love steak. Like steak is delicious. And I, Mm -hmm. I would like to eat more steak, but I'm not going to also, and I didn't even think about this until just now. Um, the, the whole thing with like red meat causes cancer. Um, there's a, there's an article and I'll try to find it about, um, the way that heme iron is broken down in the presence of plant compounds versus, or in the presence of chlorophyll versus the way heme iron is broken down, not in the presence of chlorophyll. So red meat does cause cancer. And it's not, it's not the, it's not the way the meat was raised. It's not the hormones in the meat. It's actually the way that your body breaks down the heme in the meat. However, if you eat red meat in the presence of, of plant matter, that is not a concern that no longer becomes a concern. Your body completely breaks it down in a different way. So to me right there, that's like the nail in the coffin again, pardon the pun. Um, but that would, that would, that would push me over the edge. Like we don't know if these people are going to get cancer from eating nothing but red meat because it's been, you know, like a year or six months and five years down the road, are they all going to drop dead of colon cancer? Like, I don't know, probably, I mean, to be completely honest. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the whole knowing that the way that your body breaks down heme iron, which is what is in red meat, um, is different in the presence of chlorophyll, which is in plants. That to me is, I always try to eat green things with my meat. Always. I remember you mentioning that on one of your podcasts before, um, somehow I was remembering it as the, is it acrylamide that's formed when you I think so. I think there's something about that too. Like, you know, in the presence of antioxidants that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, doesn't cause as much damage because, you know, the antioxidants go around repairing that damage. So, um, you know, you're putting a whole lot of damage in and I mean, I'm assuming these people aren't eating like wild caught salmon, right? It's just like red meat. I think it's just like steak. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's different iterations of it, but I think that the basics are just eat steak. And like, eating no. like pounds and pounds of like sirloin steak. I saw that post about the guy who was eating like two and a half pounds of steak. And yeah, yeah no, that's, I mean, it's, it's an enormous amount. I mean, I'm surprised they're even hungry enough for that because <laughs> they have to be in ketosis at that oh, point. Yeah. So, you know, losing your appetite would be one of the next steps. It's one, one of the reasons why people find keto so appealing is because they aren't hungry, yeah. you know, in between meals. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I guess the takeaway message from all of this is that extreme, extreme things, no matter what they are, but specifically related to diet. So like truly eliminating entire groups of foods I mean, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because like I tend to, I mean, I eat grains, I eat some dairy. Um, I don't eat any soy, but that's me. I know how I react to that. Um, and those are all considered in some way or another of food groups. Like I am eliminating an entire food group. Soy, I guess that's not really a food group, but, um, I guess I don't really eat legumes, which are a food group, but I also know that that's how that I react to those. So, but in general, like eliminating an entire food group based on 
because somebody else told you that you should eat that way, not really a good thing. Sure, you, sh- you, and again, this is why I created a whole e-course about this, like finding your own perfect diet is because information is power and that's the way that you find out how you react to these things is you test them and you go through a process to figure out what works for you. Um, maybe you should be eating a mostly vegan diet, like, but you're never going to know that until you go through this process in a systematic way and test it for you because it is different for everyone. Um, so I guess the takeaway is to make sure that you are doing what is best for you and not doing what somebody else thinks might be best for you based on what worked for them. Do you have any final thoughts about any of this? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I often do assist my clients with elimination diets, um, or people who are struggling with food sensitivities and intolerances. Um, but my goal as a dietitian nutritionist is to ensure that you are getting the nutrients you need from, from food. So the goal is always to get you back to the broadest diet possible as quickly as possible. Um, so yeah, really working with a professional to figure out how to do that and which foods do in fact work for you um, and what foods you can substitute with if you're not getting the nutrients from, you know, foods you can't have. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm another example. I, I guess I don't eliminate entire food groups. Um, dairy, dairy, I guess. Um, yeah. but, but you I'm react aller- to that. Yeah. I'm aller- allergic to casein. Yeah. Um, and corn, which I'm allergic to, but I mean, that's no great loss from my diet right. in terms of nutrients. Um, <laughs> right. you know, they're probably eating much more nutrient dense than I was before I was eating corn yeah. when I was eating corn. Um, so yeah, I think just, you know, I think your, your course sounds great to help people really narrow down what's going to work for them and what the be- best next steps are for them. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Um, Do you want to let people know where they can find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, you can find me on my website at www.avocadogrovenutrition.com. You can find me on Instagram, which is where I am most active on avocado underscore Grove underscore nutrition. Um, I am on Twitter half-heartedly and I am on Facebook, but you'll never see my posts. So (laughs) thank you you, algorithm. Um, So I'm in all of those places. I'd love if you say hi. Yeah. I will link to all of those things in the show notes. Um, Again. Yeah. I tend to like Instagram better than Facebook. Facebook is like an ugly void where you send things off into and nobody ever sees them (laughs) unless they're specifically looking for them, which is, you know, I guess whatever Facebook. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So uh, as always, if you enjoyed this show or you have someone in mind who you think might benefit from what we talked about today, I would love it if you would share it with them. And if you aren't subscribed, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. You will be able to find the full show notes for this episode, including everything that I said that I would link to and probably a couple of more things that I wrote down um, at marthaflorence.com forward slash three one. Thanks so much for listening and I will see you next time. 